0: Uh, today we though, we are in Micah chapter 6, and we'll go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with his people, will, and he will plead with Israel. And it's very important that we keep in mind in this particular chapter, it's focused specifically on the Northern Kingdom. We've talked about how during this time, the kingdoms were split, the Northern Kingdom, they are going to go into captivity by the Assyrians, but the Southern Kingdom is going to be spared. And so this judgment that's coming on them, that's being spoken of here, it's going to come shortly. And during this time, um, so the Northern Kingdom gets theirs, the Southern Kingdom repents And so God spares them destruction during that time. But judgment is still coming for them. They still have to pay for all the wickedness that they've done. But God waited until another generation rose up, that did evil like their fathers. And then God let the Babylonians come through and uh, deal with with them. So verse 3 says, O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? testify against me. And God's basically asking here, what do you think I've done to you? Because they were treating God as though he was an enemy, even though God had only done good for them. And so God just says, what, what have I done? The things that Israel did, and if you go to some of the other prophets, it's not specifically mentioned here in Micah, but the Bible talks a lot about how Israel, I mean, provoked God to anger. Not only were they just sinning, most of the time, when we sin, it's because we're just kind of not thinking about God. And if we don't keep God in the forefront of our mind, we are going to drift off into all kinds of sins. But most of us, I I hope none of us in here, when we sin, we're doing it to provoke God. That's a really wicked attitude. I can't imagine a saved person doing that. And obviously, we know that Israel, even though they were God's people during this time, that probably a vast majority of them were not saved. And their, their actions, not only were they just evil, not only were they just according to their flesh, but they're literally doing things to provoke God to anger. It's like they don't believe, the, and it was because they didn't believe the prophets. They didn't believe God's word about all the judgment that he said he was going to bring on them. So understand, when we look at the history of Israel... When you study the Bible and you read about all the horrible things that happened to them, people often look at that and they think, wow, God was really mean. But when you understand that these people for generations had been literally provoking God to anger, they've been pushing God. You you can't look at God and say, God was mean. No, you can say, wow, I can't believe God took as long as he did to bring the hammer down on him because they were very wicked. So verse 4 God, because he, he, God's just asked the question, what have I done to you to cause you to want to act this way towards me? And then God goes on to tell him some things that he did for them. And he says, for I bought, uh, brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, the king of Moab, consulted and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Galilee. or Gilgal, that ye might know the righteousness of the Lord. So God's reminding them, Israel, I brought you out of Egypt. I took you out of bondage. You all were servants, bondmen. I've given you a land. I've blessed you. When Balaam was, when Balak tried paying Balaam to curse you as a people, I wouldn't let him do it. I protected you. And God could have gone on and on about all the things he did for him. Uh, God did many great things for me, won many great battles for them, but I want to show you something here because it's really important that we get this next part. This is something that right here, God spells something out that a lot of theologians are missing a lot of, there's a lot of foolish teaching. You hear me, uh, you know, ran about dispensationalism all the time, but I'm going to show you something here because dispensational what they often do is they'll say something true, but then jump to a false conclusion based on that truth and go into all kinds of serious error. And I want to show you something that they are missing big time that is spelled out several times in the Old Testament. And it's spelled out here too. And it's important that we get this. It's important that we understand this concept so we're not led into a lot of goofy heresies uh, that come from a lot of the weird dispensational teaching out there. So notice, because God is about to show them something very important that we, people forget. And so what we're about to see here, God's about to give them a truth that's always been true. Something that always will be true, no matter what dispensation we are in. This truth he's about to lay out to them is very important. And So when people talk about dispensations, they often, they often do. They'll say a lot of things that are true. But then they get it, they pull an error out of that truth. And so what they often do that's right is dispensationalists will correctly point out how at one time God accepted animal sacrifices from the people. Because this is what they'll do to you. I've had, them, I've had them do this to me. They're like, do you believe that they were supposed to do animal sacrifices at one time? Yeah, I believe that. Do you believe we should do it now? No. You believe in dispensations. You're a dispensationalist. That's what they always tell me. Uh, no, actually you can believe both of those things and not be a dispensationalist. So sorry, that doesn't work. And so now, and they'll say that too. And so now everything dispensationalist is true. We're going to live on other planets. One of these days, there's going to be three raptures, you know, it's all, all the, all the weird stuff that goes on with that. But, uh, you know, they'll also point out things about the law, things about the feasts, things about the temple. And they will correctly point out, we are not supposed to do those things anymore. I agree. But after they say all those true things and they go on to declare dispensation to be true, they're trying to teach different ways of salvation. They'll try to claim that those sacrifices saved them. Even though the book of Hebrews says those things could never take away sin. You know, They'll, they'll come up with all these crazy ideas. But... Here is where the dispensationalists and people like us end up parting ways. See, when they look back on the practices of the past, here's what they see. This is, this is what's in their mind, and this is also what was in unregenerate Israel's mind during that time. When they look back and they see the, the commands for the sacrifices, the things of the temple, all that stuff, what they see is a list of rules and regulations that one must follow to gain favor with God. And they even do the same thing today where even believing on Christ, they see it as like this rule and regulation, but one that's just easier today. Where the ones in the past really hard. That's kind of how they look at it. That it's like, okay, even like believing on Christ, they've turned it into this thing where, you know, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's like a... It's a set of facts that came later and you must do all these things, you know, this thing now that just happens to be really easy. Where back before the gospel, they had to do a bunch of other things that was a lot harder. And so they still see the gospel that's by faith, without works. They they still almost see it as some kind of work. You know, just a real easy one. And that's not right. And so when people, because when people like us, When we look back at all those things, what we see is God using the things of the law, the sacrifices, and the temple as a way to help people see their need for a Savior and then come to a realization that He's their only hope. That's what we see. When we look back at those things, we understand that you know it's crystal clear in the Old and New Testament that man is sinful, but God greatly loves us. We can see that in the Old Testament, too. It's, and it's also always been God's desire for us to love him back. And we'll, show, and, what, and we'll show some biblical evidence for this in a little bit, but I want us to look at these next verses, because, again, I'm going I'm to show you, this, it's always important when we're having a theological discussion or a difference that we get to where the real difference is at. Because I could talk all day about stuff that we actually agree with with dispensationalists, But let's talk, I want to get to the main area where there's a different, where there's clearly a difference and where we part ways. So verse 6, notice it says, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Now, notice what he just said there. Now, this is easy for us to kind of gloss over and not think anything of, But here he is. He's like, How should I come before the Lord? You know, should I come with burnt offerings and calves of a year old? Well, if the dispensations are right, you know what the answer would be? Yes! You know why? Because that's exactly what the law required. That's exactly what the law required. So, should the answer to this be yes, of course. But notice what it says in verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body For the sin of my soul? Now, what do you all think the answer to this question is right here? I think it's a very obvious no. This isn't what God wants. But wait a minute. I mean, that sacrifice that he mentioned, the burnt offerings, weren't all the sacrifices, you know, burnt offerings? In the Old Testament, aren't these the things that God laid out when he's talking about thousands of rams? I mean, obviously, you know, if God required these things, wouldn't God be pleased if we just did an abundance of these things? I mean, even to the point of giving our firstborn? And the answer is a resounding no. This is not what God wants. Now, let me ask you, I think we all understand this. Was God ever pleased with the burnt offerings? Was God ever accepted, Did God ever accept those things? as an atonement for sin. And I hope you say no, because we do have the book of Hebrews that makes it very clear that while they were commanded, those things were, they never took away sin. Those things though, were commanded for that time to help people recognize who Jesus was when he came and offered the real sacrifice. And they were, and God did accept that sacrifice And the people were supposed to accept Jesus Christ as that sacrifice and believe on Him. But they didn't. You know why? Because they was like, no, it's about the animal sacrifices. And it's crazy that they thought that way because how could the blood of a goat take away sin? And we have clear verses in the Old Testament that make it clear that that's not what God's pleased with. In in fact, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. This was revealed even before that. And I'm telling you, There is a ton of evidence that many of the people of faith in the Old Testament understood this concept. The prophets understood this concept. People act like nobody understood this until Paul came along. No, there was people that understood it even back in the days when they were offering up sacrifices. They obviously knew full well while they, why they were doing those things because if during this dispensation, God required animal sacrifices for sin, if that was a requirement in that dispensation, this is how it's done now during this time. We believe it's always been about the blood of Christ. But dispensation will tell you no. Then they had to offer up sacrifices. But then shouldn't these things have pleased God? But God is very clear that it didn't. God doesn't care about sacrifices, but here's what God does want. God wants obedience God wants us to obey him. God wants us to love him. God has always wanted that. In 1 Samuel 15, this is after Sam—not um, uh, Saul, after King Saul went and he did not fully obey the Lord like he said and utterly destroyed people. Says, and Samuel said, because you know, when, he, when he gets called out, we're not going to read the whole story. Saul's like, well, I was just going to offer up these things as a burnt sacrifice to God. Because in this dispensation, God wants sacrifices. In this dispensation, sacrifices atone for sin. And so, I'm going, you know, even though God said, utterly destroy everything, no, I decided to save these things to offer them up for a sacrifice because God's pleased with sacrifices in this dispensation. And then we have our non-dispensationalist Samuel. And what does he say? And Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is his iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the lord he also hath rejected thee from being king so god's always wanted obedience god's always wanted faith that's what god has wanted and and you say well then why did he ever offer tell them to do sacrifices Again, there were times when God wanted them doing sacrifices and they were to do those sacrifices in obedience to him. They were to do those sacrifices, trusting him. That's what they were were supposed to do. But to them, it became more about not obeying God and just doing things because they trust him. But it became more about, look what we just did. And so if your King Saul... Okay? If, if you're under a system where God would tell you offer up these animal sacrifices, it would make you look really good if you had the wrong idea thinking the sacrifices are what atone for sins if after you went and conquered an army you took all their animals and sacrificed them. I mean, look at all that blood that's being shed. Look at all that's being done. Well, the problem is that's not what God asked for. God's never been impressed with the blood of animals. God, But God is pleased with obedience and this was actually disobedience because again it was never about the sacrifices it was it was never about that so in hebrews 10 5 it says wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not but a body thou hast prepared me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure now let me ask you that body that was prepared as a sacrifice for sin, what was it? I think we all know what that was. Body of Jesus, right? And did you all know that the reason the people of Israel were so important, the reason the descendants of Abraham was so important was because God had promised that the seed, that the sacrifice, that the body that He was going to prepare would come from that line. And so God in his goodness to all mankind in his love for all mankind god miraculously preserved the jewish people dirt for all those years for roughly two thousand years in spite of all the attacks of the devil on those people we have the story of esther where haman wanted to go and wipe all these people out and we see how god miraculously preserved them as a people not because they were so special, but because the sacrifice was going to come from them as a people. And when Jesus Christ was born of that virgin, and the Bible gives us his lineage, the physical lineage that was there, showing God was fulfilling the prophecies, showing God was keeping His promises, the sacrifice came and was made for sins, resurrected. And you know what? He's still there today. God kept His promise of preserving His people preserving the seed. And as long as Jesus Christ lives, as long as there are people who are born of God, then God has is keeping his promise to preserve the seed. Now, if a physical group of people go and die out someday, God didn't violate his promise. Okay. Cause God's promise was always about the seed. That's what's important is about Jesus Christ. And so when God provided ways of forgiveness and ways to restore fellowship, through sacrifices it was so the people could sin and yet still have fellowship with god it was meant as a way to restore fellowship in in case of sin that, that's what we got to understand too again we don't pay a whole lot of attention to this because in reality it it doesn't matter to us i mean aren't you glad that when you mess up you don't have to bring an offering to a priest i mean how, how many of you would like it if we just had a confession did you know the confessional booth is actually easier than what they had to do Back then. I, you know, and, I mean, that, that would stink. Okay. How many in here has ever done a confession? We'll admit, I did the confession. We've got some people that did the confessional booth before. Alright? Uh, I mean, how'd you feel when you learned you didn't have to do that? <laughs> you, you, it was probably a great relief and probably caused great anger that you did it, you know, for any length of time. And, you know, you, and you had to do the Hail Marys and all that kind of our fathers to kind of atone for your sins. And, um, listen i I'm so thankful we can just go directly to jesus christ i'm I'm so thankful for that, and we're able to do that. You know why? Because a sacrifice has already been made for sins but that and so we're able to have that constant fellowship with God. but here's what happened with the law. This is what and, and this and it's like this even in the Catholic Church many times with people is because they had a system. Where if you commit this sin, you can offer up this sacrifice that will atone for your sins. People got to where it was like, okay, you know what? Yeah, I'll have to sacrifice this animal, but I got a bunch. It's worth it. You know, and I've known Catholic people that are like that. You know, did you know that, um, Mardi Gras, one of the big things behind Mardi Gras is they go down there, you know, they call it Fat Tuesday, the day before Ash Wednesday, where they're supposed to like sanctify themselves basically for 40 days and, you know, do all these things to make themselves righteous. So you know what they do on Fat Tuesday? They go and they commit all kinds of sin, getting it out of their system, thinking I'm going to atone for it for the next 40 days during Lent. That is not what God wants. God wants us to obey him. God God doesn't want us sinning because we're like, you know what, I can handle this payment. Listen, the payment for sin was Jesus Christ. And without Christ, the payment for sin is eternity in hell for all of us. And people were never supposed to have this attitude of, I can go sin and then I'll just go offer up the sacrifice and we're all good. That is never what God wanted, but that's what it turned into. That's what it, that's what it turned into with these people. And God was not pleased with that. And I think a good way to illustrate it, you know, when you pay a fine for speeding... Hey, and we I'm sure most of us in here have probably paid a fine for speeding or something like that. We're paying a fine for breaking a law. You know what we're not doing? When you paid that, that wasn't giving you permission to break the law. It's supposed to be a punishment, so you won't do it again. You know, and so penalties are created so you won't break the law. And so when I'm out there driving speeding, you know, and if you're driving up speeding and your wife does like my wife does sometimes and starts talking about how fast you're driving and how you're going to get a ticket, you know, it's like, that's okay. If I get a ticket, you know, I can afford it. And that gives me permission to speed. No, that's not giving you permission. It's, it's meant as a deterrent to stop you because they don't want you doing those things. You know, as a parent, you want your children to be nice to their siblings. You want them, you want them to want to be nice to their siblings. But if you have a rule that hitting your, bro, hitting your brother will get you five swats, you know what? You're not going to be satisfied if you find out you know, your son hit his brother because he's like, I can handle the five swats. No, that, that's not how that's supposed to work. The punishment is supposed to make you not want to do those things. And so, if all, and so if in your home, you do, you constantly have your boys beating the snot out of each other, but it's okay. I'm, clear, I'm in the clear. I got my five swats. Sin has been atoned for. Hey, no, the point of the spanking is not to atone for sins, but to help them recognize the fact that that was wrong and you shouldn't do that. And we don't want you to do that again. Isn't that what the point is? But no, your, your kids, you know, you're, you're, if, if we were like a lot of religions, you know, you would have this home where your kids are just regularly, ritually taking their swats, seeing it and, as permission to do all the bad things that they do. That, that's, that's not going to be a good home. No, I, I know you see my kids fighting all the time in church. I know, you know, Junior gave, you know, Jimmy a bloody nose. But you know what? It's okay. I'm still a good parent because they're going to get their five swats. I obeyed the command of God and therefore I have succeeded as a parent. No. Again, kids flip up sometimes. But when they're just, when, if they're just doing those things, you know, you know, as is almost ritualistic. That's how a lot of people are. I've talked about this before where a lot of people, they can just be so stinking carnal, but they think I'm going soul winning on the weekend. I'm still a good Christian. No, I'm glad you're going soul winning, but you shouldn't be doing that junk. God doesn't want you doing that junk and your soul winning isn't atoning for those things. And you know, and five swats isn't necessarily atoning for you hitting your brother. Now it's good if those five swats gets the message across to you that that was wrong and I shouldn't have done it and there's consequences for sin and I'm not going to do it again, then th- that's wonderful. That's what's supposed to happen. But unfortunately, that's not always what happens with people. So, uh, look what it says in uh, Hebrews 10. Because God doesn't want us sitting around calculating whether or not sin and punishment is worth it he just wants us not doing these things because it displeases him. And Hebrews 10:26 is for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery and indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. And I wish we had time to really expound on that passage there, but basically what he's doing, he's letting these Hebrews who he's trying to lead them into the new covenant, he's trying to show them that, listen, if, if you sin willfully, like they used to do, you don't get to bring an offering to the priest as an atonement for your sins. Listen, you know the truth now. We've already established the fact that Jesus Christ made payment for sins once for all. That was established in the previous chapter. He was never pleased with the blood of bulls and goats. That has been established. He's talked about all those things. And so he's telling these Hebrews, listen, If now you go and you willfully sin after you've understood the truth about these things, you don't get to get away from the wrath of God by offering up a sacrifice. He's going to judge you. He's going to punish you. And that's what we've got to just understand right now as Christians. I get it. We're saved. We have imputed righteousness. We're going to heaven no matter what. But as Christians, if we just go and we willfully sin against God... We don't get to make up for it with a Hail Mary. We don't get to make up for it with an extra hour of soul winning. We don't get to make up for it by offering up some kind of sacrifice. You know what we're going to get? Punishment. Unless God gives us mercy. You you better—you can ask for mercy. You can ask for forgiveness. And God may give it to you. But at the same time, you just keep willfully sinning. You just keep pushing God. He's going to bring the hammer down on you. And that's what he's talking about in Hebrews 10. That's not talking about losing your salvation. That's, that's not what that's talking about at all. And so, what is it that God requires from us? So, and it's always been the same thing. And so we see in Micah 6.8, back to Micah, And He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And let me tell you, if we have to get specific about every little thing it shows a heart problem. God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do justly. Go read Jeremiah. Go read the other prophets. It goes into great detail about how unjust they were. It talks. It gives the specifics of Israel's transgressions in these areas. They did not do things justly. And he's telling them, God wants you to do justly. God wants you to love mercy. You know what else God didn't want them doing? God didn't want them making everyone... Pay for every little thing done to them. No, you love, you love mercy for yourself and you love mercy for other people too. People do you wrong, it's okay for you to forgive them. It's okay for you to do good to those who do evil to you. A lot of people act like mercy is a New Testament concept, it's an Old Testament concept. They were commanded to love mercy. But what do we see in, in the Gospels when Jesus was walking the earth? We see a bunch of Pharisees who they love judgment, who they love bringing the hammer down on everybody. They love shutting everybody out of everything. But God wanted them to love mercy. And He showed them how to be merciful. For example, with the woman taken in adultery. How He was with the lepers. How He was with the outcasts of Israel. How He was with the Syrophoenician woman. I mean, God was, or Jesus was constantly showing mercy to people. And remember what He told the Pharisees? When He talked about you've tith- you pay tithes of mint and and but you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. And, uh, and He, and he men- mentioned specifically uh, judgment and mercy. He said, you left these things out. You've got to have mercy. And Israel, Israel, in their zeal for the law, often completely forgot about mercy. In their zeal for stoning the adulterers. In their zeal for just bringing the hammer down on people. They forgot about mercy. They were allowed to do that. They were supposed to love that. God wanted that. And so the thing is, what what God just told them here, to do justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with thy God. Those are very general things, you could say. And and the truth is, if I have to get real specific with you about those things, it shows a heart problem. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, showing again, God's always felt the same. He says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff necked Israel, they did pretty good at doing the physical circumcision but they were really bad about the heart circumcision they're real good hey i can check this law off the list but god wanted them to get the spirit of the matter too and they didn't have it in the heart In jeremiah hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later he says circumcise yourselves to the lord and take away the foreskins of your heart ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. So if, so, so if someone came to me and asked if they would get thrown out of the church for committing a specific sin, okay, if they just came to ask that would show they have a heart problem. So wait a minute, you're only going to not commit the sin if it will get you kicked out of the church. But if it's a sin that doesn't get you kicked out of the church and you know it's a sin, I can show you a Bible verse that's a sin, you're still going to do it? You realize what kind of mentality you have right there? You're just like the Jews were in the Old Testament. You don't have the circumcision of the heart when, when, when that's your attitude. So that's a, that's a terrible question to ask. If you know it's a sin... You shouldn't base whether or not you're going to commit that sin on what the consequences are going to be. You just shouldn't do it. Well, I know it's a sin if I do this, but you know, what do you think God will do to me? Do you think this is a sin unto death? <laughs> so, okay, So if it's, you know, what are you saying? If it's not, you're just going to do it? I'm, I'm trying to see if it's worth it. You know what? God wants you to do justly. God wants you to love mercy. God wants you to, to obey is better than sacrifice. You know what you're asking it when you say what's god going to do to me you're you're checking to see what the sacrifice is to see if it's worth paying for and let me just tell you right now sin's never worth it sin's never ever worth it you might think it is and here's the thing about that when if you ask me a question like that i don't know what the consequences are going to be i do know that if you sin willfully after you receive the knowledge of the truth, if you come to me and you say, Pastor Tommy, is this a sin that would get me kicked out of the church? I'm thinking about doing it. And I say, well, I don't think I'd kick you out of the church for it. But here's what God says about it. God doesn't want you doing it. And then you go doing it. I think you should be looking for a fearful, looking for a fiery indignation. Because God's going to be mad if you do those things. God, has not laid, God, did, God did not do things the way he did to give us the ability to sin. Okay, you know, or so we could enjoy our sin. No, God did these things because we were dependent on Him, because He loved us. But God also wants us to love Him back. And you know what? If you love Him, keep, you'll keep His commandments. And again, and if you say, "Well, and, and don't make this a heaven or hell issue." This isn't a heaven or hell issue. This is about having a relationship with God on this earth. This is about pleasing God, and hopefully. You know, if you come to, if you're somebody who's saved and you're coming to church and you're coming to church here, hopefully you're somebody who wants to please God. And I'm just here today to tell you, God has never been pleased with people who have willfully sinned as, and especially back in the day when they thought I can just make a sacrifice and it's okay. No. And I get it. The blood of Christ cleanses all sin, but that doesn't make God pleased when you go sin anyway, taking advantage of what Jesus did. God's not pleased with that. So, verse 9 says, The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances, and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth, And God is basically letting them know what they have not done and what the Lord and what the Lord has required that divers weights is something that gets brought up a lot. The Bible says divers weights are an abomination. God did not want them cheating people. God did not like God does not like dishonest business practices. If you have a business today, you should be honest. You should be fair with people. You shouldn't be ripping people off. That's not good. God's not pleased with that. You ought to have a just balance and a just weight. He says, therefore also I will make thee sick and smiting thee in making thee desolate because of thy sins. Thou shalt eat, but not be satisfied and thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee and thou shalt take hold, but shall not deliver and that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil and sweet wine, but shall not drink wine. God's just letting him know judgment's coming. God's like, I'm going to be working against you. You're going to do work, but like he said in Haggai, you're going to you're going to be, I think it was Haggai, he said it where he said, you're going to be putting your money in a bag with holes in it. I'm not going to bless the work of your hands. And folks, we all need that. We all need that, uh, even today. And so God's letting him know judgment's coming. Verse 16, it says, For the statutes of Omri. Are kept, And we don't have a lot of time to go into the details of this, but when he says the statutes of Amri are kept and all the works of the house of Ahab, and ye walk in their councils that I should make thee a desolation and the inhabitants are of an hissing. Therefore, ye shall bear the reproach of my people. And if I can just give you a quick history lesson in the northern kingdom, the kingdom originally started with Jeroboam, but because of his wickedness, God did not allow the kingdom to stay in his family. He, God would have, like he did with David. David, the kingdom was preserved in his line up until, you know, uh, until the Babylonian captivity and everything went down, and yet it's still established because of Jesus Christ. Okay. God promised the same thing to Jeroboam if he would follow the Lord with all his heart, but Jeroboam didn't. And so during their history, the kingdom kept changing families. But when it got to Amri, okay, when it got to Amri, that's when a lot of things changed. Uh, it, was during, it, it was during his family and during his dynasty, you could say, that the capital went to Samaria, uh, which is why you, know, you see the reference to Samaria a lot and the tribe Ephraim. But uh, Ahab was the son of Amri. And Ahab was the most wicked king. God used to say he did wicked things like Jeroboam or he did evil like Jeroboam. After Ahab came along, he topped that and God started saying he did wicked like Ahab. It was during his time that God pronounced all kinds of terrible judgment on Israel and on the northern kingdom. But Ahab, at the end of his life, he actually humbled himself. And so because of that, God delayed judgment on his house, but it was still coming. Again, it was still coming, but it just got delayed some generations later. And so now the reason he refers to that is because this generation that was doing the works of Ahab, that was like Ahab, is the generation that is going to receive the judgment pronounced during the time of Ahab. So, um, we don't have time to go into all the verses showing all that, but right here, you could say Micah is just verifying the words of the prophets that were spoken against Ahab. Because God had not forgotten what that had done, even though this is generations later. So, uh, Ahab, they, at this point, they were, they were the most wicked. And so God has always wanted people who will do right from the heart. God has never expected anyone to be perfect. And that's why there's always been provision to restore fellowship and to receive forgiveness of sin. That's always been around. But those were never meant as ways to provide opportunity for sin. God, while eternal security is 100% biblical, God did not give us eternal security so we could be like, Hey, let's go sin and get away with it. That's not why he did that, that God gave that because it's necessary. Cause we can't, you know, make it without some kind of sin, but God did that one to preserve us. But two, hopefully, you know, it's the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. That should cause us to say, you know what, I'm going to heaven one way or the other. What an amazing, loving God we have. I know I can't be perfect, but you know what, I'm not going to sin willfully. I know I can't be perfect, but I'm going to make a real effort to live for the Lord, to love the Lord, to be obedient to Him. And that's what God wants. And you know what, compared to Jesus, we'll all stink when it comes to that. But God can see our hearts. And if God sees us making that effort, where we come short the blood of Christ cleanses us. But where God sees that effort, God's going to bless that and he'll be pleased and he'll, he'll bless you for it. And so uh, that's how it has always been, ladies and gentlemen. It was that way in Micah's day and it was that way today. And so uh, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful chapter and the lessons we can learn from it. I pray you'll help us, Lord, to not take advantage of your grace, but help us, Lord, to let your grace uh, motivate us to be obedient to you and to love you and to keep your commandments. Pray a bless the service coming up in the next hour. In your name we pray. Amen.